0: Um, As you're opening your Bibles and turning to Luke chapter 12, a couple of announcements here. The rummage sale yesterday was just awesome. It was, you know, uh, there were a lot of people involved from donating to serving. And it was just a great time that we were, you know, we brought in about 1350. And, you know, Deborah has her, you know, her hands on the little pile, the envelope. And she's going to walk down to a lane to give the donation to Alternatives Women's Center. Um, Just thank you, everybody, for for serving. It was a great time. Um, By by way of announcement, it was uh, was kind of funny watching people. Like you have like, you know, Kelly and I, we totally could work the line at Tijuana Border Crossing. And I could tell there was a difference in philosophy. There was the people who donated the stuff and knew what they originally paid selling. And then there was the pastor who knew that The stuff that didn't go, he was stuck with it, prices. So there was like, sometimes there was war within the ranks of like, how much for this? One dollar. I paid $300 for this. It's a rummage sale. It's got to go moved, you know? (laughs) So we had some, there was some sale. I was about to sell something for $5 and Linda got $200 for it. So she's more of the uh, the salesperson to watch out for. You want to see me. Um, but there's still stuff out there. It's in the corner here. So feel free, just it's, it's all fair game uh, to, to take whatever you want. Um, everything's going to go to the Amvets here, you know this week sometimes. So it's fair game today. Pack it up, have a good time with it. You know The more you take, the easier my life becomes. Um, on December 23rd, we have um, the Christmas choir kind of for, for the December 24th and i'm totally in the camp of like i i have no rhythm i have no tone i have no like whatever is required to to sing and clap and that sort of stuff and um but i like singing i like music i just can't do it and so i you know i'm going to share from the bible that night so i have like a, an out is my alibi why i'm not participating but a group of the pastors got together calvary chapel escondido um two nights before christmas rents out the uh, California Performing Arts Center in Escondido. It's huge. I mean, it's like this big, huge place. Last year, a couple weeks beforehand, they invited us. They say we want to, you know, participate um, as a community of churches to kind of bless our community to have a Christmas concert. Would you like to participate? We funded everything, and you know, hey, free. I sure I'll go, I'll help out. Well, this year they're thinking ahead a little bit more, and they want to add um, kids a kids portion to sing the three opening songs. And so we met this week, and they're going to wire it in a way that's very easy. Eventually, I'm going to get pick up a, you know a bunch of CDs of the three songs. I'm just going to pass them out to the kids, their parents, and the kids can just practice singing the song. Um, I know that Miss Pat wants to run some of the kids for Christmas Day. We're going to have a combined service, and she wants to do a song or two, and it all makes good work together. I know that Grace is very excited to be able to do this song and, you know, and for the parents, it's literally you're just going to bring your kids up. All the parents have the first eight rows. They can walk up, sing their three songs and sit down. And we all kind of know that um, when kids do it, it's like they're just so adorable. Like it, they can like be scratching their head and turning face in the wrong way. And it's like, that's my kid. Like, look at them. They're amazing, you know? It's just a lot of fun, and it's a, it's a, it's a great time. So, more information is coming down the road about that. Um, before we start, I want to point out um, before we get into Luke chapter 12 up here, we have a new map. Um, nothing today is going to actually talk about this map. But for the next, the rest of Luke, probably this map will be here. I've went f- from showing all of Israel now to shrunk down to, to, to Jerusalem because of much of the events in the rest of Luke happen in Jerusalem. And in teaching you guys the Bible, I, geography is a huge part of the Bible. And so if you guys are daydreaming for the next few months, like this is something to daydream at, you'll start getting the geography of Israel down um, right in the center here. Or kind of, that's not quite the center, but there's a big, huge rectangle. That is the temple. Uh, when you look at modern-day pictures of Israel, this is the place where the golden dome of the rock, the Islam Mosque, sits right here on that location um, or near that location. The Wailing Wall, it's the place where they wail at the wall. You guys know that place? That's right here. But this during this time, it was the temple where Jesus went and he would he would discuss things. He would reason with them. We have a number of places that will come up. Um, just to the right of it is Kedron Valley. It's a, it, it, Jerusalem is up on a, on a hill, and it's surrounded by a hill, so there's a valley around it. Over here is, um, why am I blanking on it? We showed it last week. No, well, Bethany is up there. It's the Mount of Olives, where all of those tombs, those white tombs I showed last week. So this is, this is that area over here. And then you have the Garden of Gethsemane. And so this is just to kind of help us see Jerusalem, and as we work through the text, it'll come up, and it's just very helpful, I think, um, it, it, and understanding the scripture. So we'll pray, and we'll start Luke 12. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, we ask that as we open up the gospel of Luke in the 12th chapter, um, Father, we ask that your spirit would um, guide us, Lord. Um Help us to understand what the the text meant in context um, as it happened, and Father, I pray that Your Spirit would show us principles from this story um, that apply to our lives. We are here from different backgrounds, and we all have our own lives, and uh, we have peaks and valleys, and we're all here in, in the midst of peaks, in the midst of valleys, and in all the places in between. And so, Lord, we ask that You would speak to us, that You would comfort us, that You would Um, Help us to know you more and closer, Lord, through your word. Um, We just thank you, Lord. We praise you and we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen. Luke chapter 12, verse 1. Under these circumstances, after so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were stepping on one another, he began saying to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. But there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. And I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men The Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And Father, we do thank you again for this story. And Lord, we ask that you'd help us now. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. So the first thing that we see in the story is like under these circumstances, like what, what happened? What's, what's the background that this story sort of unfolds? And as we reflect on last week, The very end of Luke chapter 11, verses 37 through 54, Jesus was invited to lunch by a Pharisee to come over to have lunch. Jesus goes there. He sits down at the table. But as he sits down, he doesn't go through their ceremonial washing and cleansing of hands. It had nothing to do with hygiene. It had everything to do with their ritual that they had forced the Bible to say. The Young's literal translation literally says that, Jesus didn't baptize himself before he sat down and that was kind of the equivalent like there's all of this stuff He had to do before he could sit down and he just goes and sits down and when he does this They're like shock and awe like the gasp like He's just contaminated the whole table because he didn't do this. Now, if we sit down, it's going to be unclean and we can't do this and we'll defile ourselves. And as they're thinking all this stuff, Jesus begins to call them out and challenge them for their hypocrisy. It was a bold in your face. Three woes to the Pharisees totally goes off on them. And as he's challenging them for how they like to appear uh, holy and righteous before men their inside was rotten god was horrified at how that what they turned the old testament into and as he's speaking one of the scribes who's a kind of a leader over the pharisees the guy who writes out the rules about the rules and all of the stuff he says I'm, excuse me teacher you know when you speak when you say these things you start to offend us and, you know, maybe you just misspoke, and this might be a good opportunity for you to apologize, recant, kind of, we can we can work this out. And Jesus kind of looks at him, and I imagine him saying, well, I'm sorry, I didn't realize. Did I not offend you yet? Let me go talk about you guys. And so he gives three more woes, finally saying, You know, the keys have been entrusted to you, meaning the the scriptures, and you didn't receive salvation. And not only did you not receive salvation, you stand in the way sort of as linebackers, blocking people who are trying to find God, and you're keeping them out of the kingdom of God. And I don't think they ever had lunch. Like, I think lunch was over before it started. And in the 53rd verse, as he's leaving there, it says... When he left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to be very hostile and to question him closely on many subjects, plotting against him to catch him in something that he might say. And so they are angry. They, already we've seen that the scribes and Pharisees are plotting against Jesus. They're seeking a way to kill him. And they would be successful by the end of the gospel. And under these circumstances... Jesus leaves this house, angered them, closes the door behind them to find this huge crowd. And it says, after so many thousands of people had gathered together, that they were stepping on one another. Like, just let that sink in. That so many thousands, like so many, that doesn't mean, like to me that doesn't mean 2,000. That means like 3,000 and above thousands upon thousands of people are there to where they're stepping on one another if this was in modern day if this was a concert you'd hear oh people got trampled last night a bunch of people are in the hospital because they stepped all in each other trying to get to so and so and this is what jesus opens the door to so while he's in there the word had gone out hey listen jesus is in town we know where he is let's get to him let's get to him and normally when i like yesterday you know i was introduced to a whole new world the rummage sale world. I don't like that world. <laughs> you put a sign out there that it says you start at eight. What time do you think that start means that we're going to start at? Eight. To me, yeah, that's. I'm thinking it means like eight thirty. You know, like I'm on more. I'm for Mexico time. You're like, it's ballpark. We're going. To, you know, just hold your horses. It's like six thirty. People are like in the parking lot. We put like. Three guys were here to, like, shop. We put him to work. Like, I'm like, well, here's this room. Start carrying that stuff. Be careful. You break it, you buy it, mister. And he's, like, cracking up. He's like, I'm here to shop, and they're putting me to work. This is awesome. And we're like, okay, it goes there, it goes there, it goes there, you know. And we had at most, like, at one time, like, there's, like, it was, like, waves of people. But I mean, like, I think the most maybe shoppers we had at a given time was maybe 30, 40. I don't know. But it seemed like it was just out of control. We had Nathaniel working. You know, he was our bodyguard. His ball cap on, shades on, arms crossed. Kind of like, nobody comes past here. You got to go that way. And uh, like, but that was like, this is thousands of people. And in this picture, I picture Jesus coming out of this room with the Pharisees and scribes fuming righteous anger at what he'd seen the people that god had entrusted to to carry out see see god in the old testament has like a really bad reputation you if you actually read the old testament you see god is loving kind compassionate that his loving kindness endures forever that his patience is there and they had they had you know he tells the scribes that you make rules that the people can't keep that is so burdensome on them that you're breaking them and you don't even attempt to obey one of these rules. And I just, if there was a door, I see him slamming it there and there's this huge crowd and he's like, can't believe what they've done. And he says, guys, we're going to talk right now. And he grabs his disciples, either his 12, the 70, I think it's the 12. I imagine the 12 are standing there with people all around. We need to talk right now. Like, this is not waiting till we get back to wherever we're going. We're having this conversation here. And he began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So the first is beware. It's like a warning. Caution. Don't do this. You know, once a month, Anna and I, next Sunday is our weekend where we drive up to Grandpa Hilkin's house, Anna's grandfather's house. He's all alone on a 44-acre ranch. It's a, it's like a, you know. So I'm like force myself to take a weekend once a month. So we drive up there, to make our left turn at the 58 in, Kul, no, not Kalinga, Button Willow. There's nothing there. It's the closest thing I think to Nazareth. You know, like what's come out of Button Willow? You make that left turn on the 58 and you go for like 75 miles. And once you get over the hill, it's like just straight. And then there's a sort of a weird couple turns. Now, I know exactly what happened. Like, back when they were redistrib- redistributing and, like, putting this road down, there were about three stubborn farmers that said, you ain't touching my thousand acres, <laughs> you know? Like, so you're going down the road, and all of a sudden it's like this boom, like a sharp and perfect 90-degree turn. You go for another mile, and then there's another sharp 90-degree turn. And it's a long straightaway, and so you're doing the speed limit. So there's Gunner going, we'll call it 55, because I think that's a speed limit. But I don't even think they care about the speed limit, because there's nothing there. Then as, like, it isn't on a straight path. You're, like, going to la-la land, where you're driving subconsciously. Then you get all of these signs, 15-mile-an-hour turn, 15-mile-an-hour turn, 15-mile-an-hour turn. You slow down, and you go, what is going on here? And I can see that this property owner... Was not given up his land, and that property owner wasn't given his land. And so we walk the exact border of the properties to get through there. And every now and again you'll <laughs> you'll you'll see somebody didn't yield the warning, and they plow straight through into like there's really nothing there except barbed wire and fields. But you can see evidence that. They normally make the second turn, but the first turn is the one where there's problems. And Jesus is saying, beware, caution sign, don't do this. There's a problem here. And what's the problem? He says, the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, I don't bake, really. I mean, if I do, it's like there's very precise instructions. Like, and it comes out of a box. Add one egg. Do this. Stir it together. Apparently, there must be leaven and cake mix, but I don't know. I've never really made bread homemade. But during the last service, I did a little survey. I know that you put a little bit of whatever it is, um, yeast, just a little bit. And then you're like, let it sit so the stuff can arise. See, if I was going to do this, I would like to speed up the process. So I would just like, if it said a tablespoon, I would put like a cup. Because it's like, well, we just speed things up. (laughs) Right? But apparently by the look on everybody's faces who bakes, I guess it would be really bad. And Jesus is saying, listen, this... This problem of theirs, it's like that. It just takes a little bit to contaminate everything. And it's slow. It seems harmless. It doesn't seem like it's going to do any problem. But before you know it, everything's ruined. And what's the problem? It's hypocrisy. He says, the the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. You Google hypocrisy, it's, it's sad how many hits come up. It's like hypocrisy today has become synonymous with Christianity. Like that's just kind of. That's like if you ask her, what's a hypocrite? Oh, they're Christians. It's like, well, no, I, I disagree, but that's the perception of that word. But what was it back then? Back then it was acting. It was like if you could put on a performance and you could go on stage and you did a brilliant job, then when you walk off stage you're a person. But when you were in character, people got lost in what they were seeing. Like that, you were that character. And when I think about this in modern day Stories. There are some people that I think of, like the Brady Bunch, like Jan Brady or Marsha. Will always be Marsha Brady. I have no idea what her real name is. I see her today. I guess I gauged her too old, so it's like she's forty or something. I don't know how old actually old she is. But today she had the Brady Bunch has been off the air for twenty years. If you see her, like, oh, that's Marsha Brady. Like, does anybody know Marsha Brady's name? No. And then there's another one from Little House on the Prairie, Little Half Pint. Whatever her name is, the little, you know, what's her? Laura Ingalls. See, her actual, her real name is, does anyone know her real name. Melissa Gilbert, exactly. And these actors that played these roles, if you will follow interviews, there's like total frustration in their lives, like even getting other roles or just in life because they get typecast as that character. It's like, I'm not Laura Ingalls. I'm not Marsha Brady. I played her. And then if you look at some of them, their lives off stage are like very different from on stage. And Jesus says, this is what the Pharisees have become. They put on this big religious show like, oh, look at me. I give and I pray and I do all this stuff. But on their inside, they're rotten. In God's eyes, he's just angry at what they've turned following him into. And Jesus says, don't let this happen to you. In today's like, church, you guys probably don't really follow a lot of church marketing and stuff like that. Um, but there's two words that are become really trendy. Like, if you look at new churches and you just, like, go to their website, you're going to see two words that are going to appear. Like, I think they're really good words, but it's like, oh, man, like, you're turning this into, like, a catchphrase. They are transparency and authenticity. Like, that we're authentic here. And I totally am all for being authentic and transparent. But, man, it's, like, trendy, like, it's so it drives me crazy. Like on our church website, we don't have transparent, authentic, but I'm probably more transparent and authentic than most teachers because Jesus is looking at them and he's got his back to the Pharisees. He's looking at them. And he's like, guys, don't become like them. Stay transparent. Like you're just sinners that will be saved by grace and they're going to continue to attack you. And don't let religion and all of this stuff sneak in. He continues to say but there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be made known accordingly whatever has you have said in the dark will be heard in the light and whatever you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops How many of us here would be totally comfortable if like like there was like a billboard on your forehead that every thought you thought would be appeared right on your forehead Oh no. <laughs> like that was oh no. Like we and Jesus is saying there's nothing that God doesn't know. He knows everything about you. He knows every sin, he knows every bad thought, every bad deed. There is nothing hidden from him and there is a day when everything will be exposed in front of him. So the point is like don't be phony. Don't be don't, you're not fool, you're not playing games with God. Or you might even don't play games with God. <laughs> There's a story about a friend of mine from a church, hilarious, like it was a couple churches ago. He's now the senior pastor there. He was a missionary kid that grew up in Uruguay. And still to this day, he goes to Uruguay, which is in South America. And just in case you guys don't know that he, um, he goes down there once a year for a few weeks. And when I, I was in the transition of leaving the Navy and um going into the ministry and just sitting around his office to hear stories I really like the guy on an individual level. I thought he was a really good leader And he said, yeah, he's like man (laughs) He was telling this story about on a trip down to uruguay Where it was they were in a jeep and he was a passenger And then there was a driver and there were two guys in the back and they're going through these jungle roads And my friend asked the guys like hey guys, I have a question because I like You know, i really have a struggle And I'm going to look to you guys for help. And, you know, like, how do you guys guard yourselves, like, mentally to stay pure when all of the women here are topless? He's like, you know, I really struggle with, like, lust and, like, wanting to not, like, I want to reach them. But, like, how do you guys, like, protect yourselves from that? And so a couple of the guys in the back started like saying, well, you know, it is a struggle and we like this is what we kind of do. And I think accountability is helpful and, you know, like they're very helpful. And the driver kind of looks at them, I guess he's like, what? Brother, you must not be walking with the Lord. Like I read my Bible and God just kind of protects me. And he gives this big spuel, like demeaning them that they like, how could they like have this struggle? And now that my friend's like, oh man, I was like feeling really bad. Like maybe this guy's really spiritual. And like I was like, man, maybe I'm doing something wrong. I'm not following Christ good enough. Well, then they came like in the midst of, like as they're having this conversation, there's a bridge over a river. And the, when I say bridge, what I mean is that there's a tree that's been cut down and split long ways in half laying over, and you've got to get the tire of the Jeep on each one. So they're about to go over the bridge, and as they get about a quarter of the way over, they notice that down on the right side of the bridge, there's a a young lady who's washing her clothes, and she's topless. The driver drives the Jeep into the river. This guy that was all of this like, my brother, I don't struggle with this. He said they got out. Their Jeep's now stuck. They're probably still to this day. And it was like, I don't ever want to hear that sort of legalism and holy righteousness ever again. Why was it? I just, there was there was a possum on the, no, there was. Like, we saw you, you were staring at her, and you were just lecturing us what we were trying to be real and sharing that we suffer with this. It's like, you've turned into a Pharisee, and it was just a hilarious story. And, and, and it's easy for us to see as humans we can just see the outside we can't see the inside and as a human that knows that people can only see the outside it like what i want to kind of protect is my external image because I, like that's how you guys judge and there was a funeral earlier this year here like i loved it it was like a like that was not a very christian sort of like i i loved it it was awesome and at the end of the funeral a young lady probably in her 20s came up to me and said, I used to go to church here when I was like four years old. Can I go check out the halls? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, can I come with you to hear like, do you know your take of this church back then? Because I'm trying to piece together like history and stuff. And so she's going through like running. She's like, oh yeah, Sunday school is here. And it was just super cool to see her lit up. And she's like, yeah, I'm going to start coming to church. I haven't seen her since then, but you know, pray for her. I don't, you know, like who knows. And at the end of the day, there's some people from the church here that were more churchy type people. And then this girl looks at me and she says, you know what? I'm going to start coming, but I can't tomorrow because I'm going to go get so wasted tonight. And there's no way I'll wake up in time for church tomorrow, but I'm coming back. I'm like, awesome. We'll love to see you. And she like ran off. And while I was there, I think the three people around me like had heart attacks. Like, Does she know what she just said to the pastor? I'm like, guys, like, don't act differently around me just because, like, and I said, you know what? I'll take honesty any day of the week, any day of the week, any day of the week. Then this, since we're on characters, Eddie Haskell. (laughs) Yes, Mr. and Mrs. Cleaver, we're going to go to school, then we're going to go to church for prayer time, and then we'll go to the, just get an ice cream cone and we'll come home. Is that how he really was? No, that's a hypocrite. And like, that's an actor who's playing a hypocrite. And Christians, we fall into this trap. We come to church, we put on our best clothes. I've been to a lot of your houses. I know you guys don't dress like this on your regular time. I know you don't. Sweatpants are popular still. T-shirts are very popular. I don't lounge around in Dockers. I don't lounge around in Dockers in a button-down shirt. Like, if I want to be comfortable, like... Flip-flops and shorts and a t-shirt, like how I am most of the time, except when I come to church or pastoral calls. But, but I think a lot of us feel like, oh, when we come to church, we've got to kind of put on our best exterior. Nobody's fooled because we're all people. And earlier this year when the whole Unshackled program came out, like this was like, I don't know, like initially like going back when we kind of declared we'd have an unshackled listening party at the church, we'll have a potluck. We'll cancel Bible study and we'll do like an unshackled listening party. We'll provide hot dogs. That's what we do these days. Like that's the new, seems to be the food of choice. And uh, normally on a Wednesday night Bible study, we have between, say, 10 and 20 people at the Bible study. Well, people started showing up. And they kept coming. There must have been like 150 people here this night. And I'm like, like the people are going through the kitchen. I'm like, I've got that kind of like that gag reflex going on. Like, I'm, and I'm not really hungry. I don't think I like, I'm like got the fight or flight mode, you know, like, but was this really a good deal? And I remember looking at Casey's like, yeah, you air your dirty laundry. It's every, everybody wants to come out to hear your stuff, you know, like have a hot dog, enjoy yourself. This is going to be fun. And then Anne and I like, were back there in the cave kind of hiding out, you know, as the thing was playing. And I'm kind of going, oh, man, was this a good idea? And I'm like, I know the thing's going to end. What am I going to, like, how do, we, how do we land this thing? I'm like, "I'm like, is this where we do Q&A? Like, I don't really know that I want to do a bunch of Q&A. And thankfully, we just ended with a song and we moved on. But the thing was, is after that was all done, like, and a lot of people here, like, know all those stories, uh, But it's just liberating. Like, it was so freeing to kind of, because, see, I was raised in an abusive home. And and this part of transparency is not easy for me because in my home growing up, we had to put on this exterior. And I'm not talking for religious reasons. I'm talking like CPS knocking on the door. Uh, Or, no, actually, I was in school and they pulled me out. They want to ask me some questions. Everything's fine. We love mom. She's the best. She cooks for us all the time. She never drinks. No, I fall down the stairs a lot. We have we have that. I like to do somersaults down the stairs, which was partly true. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 so everywhere I went, it was like, no, no, everything's OK, because we had this big secret. And, and then becoming a Christian, my perception of what Christianity was. Well, see, as I started walking with Christ, stuff started surfacing. But then I had to know being a Christian looks like this. So I've got to kind of use all this stucco on the outside and paste all the holes and dings and try to make put on this exterior when that's not going on. Like it's hypocrisy is so easy to get there, which Jesus then goes to comment. He says in verse four, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, have no more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he is killed, has the authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now, I want to point out the first thing he says that's that's huge that we should catch. He says, I say to you, my friends, according to... The Bible, the New Testament, like uh, Colossians two, Jesus created everything. When the earth, everything was being formed, it was Him that formed all things. that holds all things together, and here He is in the flesh, calling them friends. That He, that that our God, our Creator, says friend, and He says, "I, I tell you the truth, don't fear." Like, and He's got the Pharisees' house behind Him, and I kind of picture Him like pointy don't fear man that can kill your body and after that can't do anything else those pharisees were going to kill jesus at least of the 12 that were there they tried to kill all of them all but one was killed every single one was killed for testifying for who christ was and john he was kind of the apostle that i refer to as the catfish i don't know if you guys ever gone catfish hunting or catching or whatever I was in the third grade when I caught my first catfish. I have never gone to catfish hunting since then. Like, horrifying. Because as a kid, you're supposed to catch a catfish and what you, or a fish, whack it over the head with a stick. whack my catfish over the head with a stick, put it in a bucket, looked dead as a doornail. 30 minutes later, it's flopping. Whacked it again. Like, it went on, and I, like, like it would not die. And not because I tried, and so now I don't even mess with catfish. They scare me. They are not like, I, I do like eating them, but I leave that to other people. And that was John the Apostle. Like, they tried to kill him. They boiled him in a vat of water. Like, they, they just, he just kept on going. God wouldn't let him die. They exiled him to Patmos. But all of them, these guys behind us, don't fear them. Because after they kill you, they can't do any more. But fear. The one that after he kills, he can cast you into hell. Like God has our, our eternal security. And, and this wasn't used to create fear to us. It was used to create comfort. In this whole phrase, you'll see: don't fear this, fear this, don't fear this, fear this. And the idea is don't fear like that which can't hurt you. I, I heard it said about on this subject of fearing god and this section very good and the friend said a cause of hypocrisy is fear of man and i'm like that is really good a cause it's not exclusive because we have sin that's plenty reason that causes hypocrisy but a cause of 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 hypocrisy is fear of man And that was me kind of like becoming a Christian. Like, well, I've got to look, I've got to fit into this shape if I'm going to be accepted in Christian circles. And so as this sin in my life is like bubbling up and I'm dealing with stuff, I couldn't let that get out. Because what will they think of me? What will the person in church think of me? So so I push it down, hold it down so I don't have to deal with stuff. And I think that's why a lot of pastors have problems like pastors kind of there's a complex amongst pastors from the life of being on the pedestal and being in the fishbowl like there, are lot like there's this sense of like well if if i like let them know my struggles and i'm transparent they're gonna judge me and then fire me sort of thing like that's not my policy here like i'm like <laughs> you guys i let it, like pretty much what you see is what you get but there's freedom in that and it's not that i don't want to like that i'm dealing with this stuff and god's working in my life and i think that that's what we need as christians proverbs solomon the wisest man in the world says this the fear of man brings a snare but he who trusts in the lord will be exalted so he says that fear of man will bring a snare and since we've been talking about little house on the prairie i'm going to kind of continue this thing there was an episode i think or it's in my mind paul was out hunting and the you know and he stepped in like a bear trap you know those big metal things stepped on it got his leg and he's out there and i guess he left his cell phone at home or something that's a joke because there was no cell phones and and he's out there dying like how am i going to get this this snare off of my leg and get help solomon says if you fear man it's a snare to you it's that same thing that will kill you but the contrast he says but he who trusts in the lord it's not even he doesn't even go the route of fear god although he said talks plenty about the fear of god as the beginning of wisdom He said, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. This is the bearing that we need to stay focused on. There's peace and comfort fearing in God. Because he's the only stability, the one who truly knows us and loves us and cares for us, which he's going to unpack more. In Isaiah chapter 8, verses 12 and 13, we read, You are not to say it is a conspiracy in regard to all that this people call a conspiracy and you are not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it. It continues. That's verse 12. But first thing he says, when you look around, don't be worried like people all around you. As children of God, as those who follow God, we have a different bearing. And I'm all for like Christians, like getting involved in our our culture and trying to you know, to be a light to this world, to help our society keep biblical values. But the bottom line is, if you watch liberal media or conservative radio, the sky is falling, on both sides. And and while I totally like support like being involved in politics on the, on a whole nother level, I just don't care. Like I don't care. The Bible tells us that this whole world is passing away. It's broken. We're on the Titanic. And it's going down, and it's only a matter of time. And our role for those who have trusted in Christ is to pass out life jackets. Because we have the true hope. Look what he says. Don't fear. Don't say conspiracy. Don't fear all the stuff that people's fearing. It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy. And he shall be your fear, and he shall be your dread. That we keep our eyes on him because, you know what, this whole, like, our world situation is in his hands. He's got everything in control. And you know, this week of all weeks, like, like there's been a lot of stuff on my plate dealing. Like, this is like multiple crises have struck this week. Like, I can normally juggle like one or two, but there's been like a couple. And, you know, be praying for Casey's mom. And, I, you know, this, I had a little moment with Casey's mom that's like, and, like, this is where, like, your whole theology meets the road to, to hold. The hand, it's a bit in the prayer request. I think it's public, right? This is like, I'm okay. You know, like, hopefully this is where I always kind of... But but this had nothing to do with Casey. But Casey's grandmother loves the Lord, like a dear, dear lady. And, and these times for me that I'm invited into people's houses in, in where life meets death and is threatened by it because we all are dying. Like, we all are. And to be holding her hand and for her to, like, assure me that, like you know what, Jesus has just been blessing me through this. And he gave me a hymn and I totally forgot what it was, but it was totally about like that Jesus is walking with her, you know, taking steps with her. And she's like, but I'm not ready to go. Like, I'm not ready to go. But to be there with the woman who is like facing the reality that we all face, see, we all face it, but we're all in denial about it. But to see that what we believe, the truth of the resurrection of Christ holds solid in those moments. And it's because our perspective is on God, our hope. Is, you know, our, now I'm going to see, I have a hodgepodge of songs in my heads, but I have no musical talent. But I think there's a song about our hope, nothing less than, you know, our, on the Christ, the rock we stand. It's a great song, like biblical, you know. But so it's like this whole idea that even in this, whether I live or die, if I die, it's gain to be with Christ. But to stay, I'm going to live for him and serve him forever. It was said at John Knox during the 1500s, an evangelist, as he was, I'm pretty sure he was martyred for his faith. I didn't have time to like, you know, for my, all my research this week didn't all stick in my brain and I didn't write it down. Um, But at his, at his funeral, as they were lowering his casket, one friend of his leaned over to another friend of his ears and whispered something. And it said that he says, here lies one who feared God so much that he ne- never feared the face of any man. And you know what? When we fear God and when we are focused on him, I really don't care what y'all think about me. Because I know that if I, if and I had to care, what, I love you guys. That wasn't, that kind of sounds bad. But you guys get the, like, like, like I want to make God happy. And that's my bearing. And I know that if I am faithful to him, you guys might get upset with me because we're all sinners. And, like, and I might do something wrong. But if I fear God, that if I was wrong, then I'm going to humble myself and confess to him and to you. And if I'm right, then I trust that he'll do the same to you, that you'll humble yourself and forgive me and confess, you know, that there's fellowship there. But if there's no God in the midst of it, no relationship will work because we all got issues. But when God's the fear in marriage, it's a whole lot easier to say, you know what? I was way off base for doing that with your kids. Like I totally had to like, like to grace i forget like in the middle of all of this we did something we came home one night from somewhere and it was probably my fault because i left a bunch of zip ties out and i get this oh dad i can't get this ring off of my finger and i think i put it on too tight (laughs) it was a zip tie over her little finger that was turning purple and so then i go into navy seal crisis mode you know it's all about saving the patient they don't teach us bedside manner Anna, get to the house. Open the key. We're gonna lose a finger here. It's like, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? I gotta. And I'm like, apparently Anna has a lot of these situations. This little girl, like getting stuff that she thought were rings. <laughs> she didn't do it, but eventually, like, slap me. Yeah, she didn't slap me, but like mentally, was like, she's like get, pull yourself together, man. <laughs> Go to the tub. Put some water on it get that steak knife away from my my daughter's finger that you're trying to do something, you know? And I'm like, that's a great idea. And I got it off. But then Grace is all traumatized, like, you know, crying, like, Dad, you spoke harshly to me. And I had to, like, you know, like I said, sorry. Then the next day I got her flowers. And I was like, you know what, Grace? Really sorry. I overreacted. Like, I really, I was worried about your finger. And it was probably my, you know, and... But there's a lot of people who can't say, I'm sorry. They can't admit fault. But when God is the one that you fear, you realize, man, he forgave me of a lot. And I'm just a sinner. And so I need to be forgiving. And, you know, that goes a long way with your kids, with your spouse, with friends, with everybody. It goes a long way. He continues. I think. Oh, yeah. Verse six. I'm actually on the right place. Larry didn't mess with my notes today. Okay, are not five sparrows sold for two cents, yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. He he goes on to say, listen, like five sparrows are worth two cents. It's like this is like nothing. This is like me making deals out there. It's like, oh, yeah, 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 you want... Let's make a deal. We'll, we'll, we'll throw this in. If you'll buy that carpet that I'm thinking I've got to haul away tomorrow, I'll throw in a TV if you just take that away. And we was like, "Gunner, stop, Listen, like, this I got her. I'm going to sell it for 20 bucks or whatever, you know it's like But he's saying, like, listen, th- this is stuff that we don't even care about a sparrow. this is nothing. Yet they're not forgotten about God. God knows each of them. And then he starts talking about the very hairs of your head are numbered. And this is like learning this this is where like the guys that are bald make the jokes. Like I learned this very early on that they all laugh like that's no big deal for me like ah but you see God knows how much hair you started with, how much hair you have right now, how much hair you're going to have. A little research has nothing to do with this. Redheads have the least amount of hair follicles, like 90,000. Blondes have like 150,000 and brunettes have about I think it's 120, so blondes have the most hair follicles. But I think that the real issue here, because that doesn't matter to us, like how many, we all have cell phones. I'm going to start with the assumption. We all have cell phones. We all love our cell phones. Yeah. Last night, I had a nightmare after the rummage sale. <sighs> Somehow I got, I was on a bus that turned into a train that went the wrong way and I left my cell phone at home. And then there was crisis happening in people's lives, but I didn't know how to get a hold of them. I didn't know how to like respond because My cell phone wasn't with me. It's right there right now. That is my, like, everything keeps me connected. Because I know I can't be updating my Facebook status while I'm preaching. But so, like, I know my cell phone. I think that my assumption is we all love our cell phones. How many buttons are on your cell phone? I have no idea how many buttons are on my cell phone. Well, why don't you know how many buttons are on your cell phone? Don't you love your cell phone? Don't you cherish your cell phone? does it isn't your lifeline and that's kind of the point like the things that you care about you don't know everything about them god loves you so much he cares for you so intimately he created you there is nothing about you that he doesn't know and doesn't understand and so this whole passage is about showing that there's comfort in him It's not that we fear him out of like, oh, he's a a rabid dog that we're trying to get away from. We fear him out of awe and respect as creator and sustainer. He goes on to say in verse eight, I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the son of man will confess him also before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of god and everyone who speaks a word against the son of man it will be forgiven him but he who blasphemes against the holy spirit it will not be forgiven him so this is like who this is scary this is one of those passages that christians get really scared about like like seriously like this is like i've dealt with people that read this and get all worried I'll get to the the worried part, but like this whole confession before God, like I don't, I don't know. Grace and I have been reading a bunch of like these books, these trailblazer books on like missionary lives, like famous missionaries so you can get the synopsis. I, I love it because I've been growing, learning about these missionaries. And we read about Martin Luther. Like I could just quote this to you like, oh, yeah, I was just reading this biography. It's a kid's book. <laughs> but Martin Luther, during the 1500s, he... Um, in reading the Bible, there were some problems that he had with. It. He was a Catholic monk and or like teacher, and he had some problems with what the church was saying in conflict with the scripture. So he was trying to like straighten out the the church, and so he wrote a bunch of stuff from scripture that he thought violated the scripture that from the pope down had put out. And so then during his, they started seeking after him to try to basically burn him at the stake to have him killed. They finally get him to a trial at a place called Worms, and he's standing there, and they say, listen, we want you to recant everything that you've ever written and everything that you've ever said against the church. And he says, well, excuse me, like, you guys, I know you really want a really simple answer, But I'm happy to go through, can we go through like each line of everything that I've written and we'll look at the scripture and then there could be something that I misspoke and I'm happy to recant it if it doesn't violate scripture. And they're like, you're ridiculous. We're not, you've written so much. We're not going to do that. We want you to recant all. And he says, well, can I have 24 hours to think about this? I said, of course you have 24 hours to think about it. So he shows up the next day and they're all waiting to hear what he has to say And he says, well, since you guys just want a simple answer, a yes or a no, this is my response. And he said, unless I'm convinced by the testimony of the scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either the people or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradict themselves, I am bound by the scriptures that I've quoted and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. May God help me. Amen. And so you think, well, what does it have to do with us? See, Martin Luther, like the fact that you have a Bible in your hand, that we have Bibles in our seat that's in, in the seats that you can take home, give to your friends, that we can read in our language he translated into the 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 language of the people and got it into the hands of the people and then they chased him tried to execute him for most of his life but he he died of unpleasant causes of death that was not by other people but but he stood and wouldn't back down because god's word had spoken and now I look at these stories and I wonder, I don't know. Like, I've never really faced that sort of persecution. And I read things in the news, like, months ago, like, a couple months ago, there's a guy in Iran who converted to Christianity. He's a father of three young children. And they put him to death by way of John the Baptist, to keep it rated, you know, PG here. So if you know how John the Baptist died, that's how he died. And all they wanted him to do was to recant that he trusted in Jesus, that Jesus was Lord. And I read these stories and I go, I don't know if I could do that. Could I do that? Could I do that? I don't know. Like, I don't know. But I do believe that God gives us grace in these moments, like when you need them, and he gave that guy the grace to endure. And Jesus is talking about like this whole life of following after him. And now we get to the whole, like, like this blaspheme of the spirit. Like Larry's a guy, like I was talking to him yesterday. He's like, oh yeah, I worry about that one big time. Like that's always kind of troubled me because it says he who denies the son of man, that's okay. But he who denies the spirit, now that is the unpardonable sin. A few years ago when I was at La Roca, the Spanish speaking church, um, this girl, I forget her name, but, but, but she was a straight person. And she, like, like, very bad into alcohol, very bad into the, the problems. She must, I would guess her to be probably, like, about 50 years old. Uh, most of her teeth were gone. Um, and she started coming to church, and she really started growing. And, like, I, re- I really just, like, love this lady. And she reminded me of, like, a 12-year-old kid. And I think that something happened to her when she was 12, and she stopped, like, maturing at that point. And after, like, months of her coming, growing, she, like, came up to me one day, just, like, broke down, crying. And, she, and I'm like, what is wrong? And She's like, you know, when I was 12 years old, I, like, said, like, I told God that I didn't believe in his spirit, and I rejected his spirit, and I wanted nothing to do with him, and, it, and I don't think that I can be forgiven. And I'm like, oh, that's not at all what this passage is saying. Like, first... If your conscience is remotely bothering you that you've said something offensive to the Spirit, I would go on to say that's a good place to be. This is talking about the person who continually rejects God unto death. Like to see Jesus and to say, well, I don't, like, like, because they're all equal. God is one. It's not like there's the Father, Son, and Spirit, three different gods. It's one God that's manifested in three different ways. Our little brains can't quite grasp that. But one day we will. So to see Jesus and to reject him, he says, you know what? That's understandable. But the spirit, which you can't see, to reject that unto your death. See, when you die, you're dead. It's over. There's no purgatory. There's no second chance. Hebrews 9.27, I believe, says that it is appointed for a man to die once. And at that point, to face judgment. It might, it might have. It's in Hebrews. I think it's 9.27. And I want us to go over to, Ma, to Mark chapter 3, if, if you'd like. And I think Mark chapter 3 gives some clarity on this, what Jesus is saying. We have to remember the context. Thousands of people there, his disciples he's dressing. Behind him is the home of the Pharisees. And in Mark chapter 3, verse 28, it says, Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men. It says all sins. And whatever blasphemies they utter. Like, no matter what the blasphemy is, forgiven. But then verse 29 kind of gets our minds spin. Like, I don't understand you, Jesus. What are you saying? It says, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. But the secret to understanding that is verse 30. And it says, because they were saying that he has an unclean spirit. Remember, he just came out of this. He's doing miracles. They said, but the spirit that you're doing these things is by the spirit of Satan. So they are attributing the work of Jesus to, To Satan, you can go back to Luke. They're rejecting the work of Jesus and they're attributed to Satan and they held their position. We don't know who was in that room, but two guys that denied Jesus come to mind. First is Peter. We know about Peter, right? He denied Christ three times before the rooster crowed. I should get a second star up here because I didn't say he denied Jesus three times before the crow crowed. That's what I always say. I've been practicing. He totally rejected Jesus. Jesus said, you would reject me. You would deny me. Certainly, I think Peter's in heaven. I think there's evidence that he was forgiven for that. Even more so than Peter that doesn't get... I mean, he's the Apostle Paul. Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was not in the room of people that were doing this, but he definitely was one of the ringleaders. We know that the Apostle Paul, the first Christian... To die for standing for Jesus was Stephen, and Paul was there, I think, in charge of the whole operation. Rejecting that the Spirit had moved in Christ to do this. Paul wrote most of the New Testament. And so certainly both of those guys were forgiven. And I think that the whole deal here is hope. And as he's saying this, it's like, keep your eyes on me. They can't hurt you. God can hurt you. Follow and see me, and you're going to be okay. And verse 11 says, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you're going to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So the first thing that every commentator that I read this week, the first thing he says, I have to say this by way of disclaimer, is this is not a verse that excuses a pastor from studying in preparation for Sunday. And of all the weeks, this is a week, I would have like, man, I just happened to preach on this. I should just roll into church and just whatever comes, the Spirit will guard me. No, like, I felt like when I got back from the rummage sale, I finally got home. And I'm like, okay, like, I have a final exam tomorrow at 8.30 and 10.30. I need to study, 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 figure out how I'm going to deliver it. So I'm in the midst of my second final today. There's so much preparation that happens, and there are many pastors who will point to this verse and say, Oh, you just make it up on Sunday. No, 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 no. You study, 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 and then as you're delivering, the Spirit will help you with your work. But Peter, we just talked about Peter. Peter was in this crowd of the huddling that he says, When they bring you before synagogues, don't worry how you're going to respond. These guys brought all of those 12 guys. Tried to execute all of them. is successful for 11 of them. Peter was executed by them. Don't worry what you're going to say. The spirit will help you. Turn with me over to Acts chapter 4. Peter had denied Christ three times. Peter denied Christ three times. Then uh, Jesus Ascended into heaven, 10 days later, they're in the upper room. Pentecost happens. All of a sudden, Peter's like the man when it comes to preaching. 3,000 people are added to the church. The church keeps growing, multiplied. God had given Peter the ability to, to heal people, to authenticate who he was as an apostle. They just healed a guy. They were so angry because they thought if they killed Jesus, it would end this whole Messiah thing. And so they pull this man that's now well and Peter and John before them, building a case to execute them. And Peter begins to speak in verse 80. He says, then Peter spoke. No, it says, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. And I believe that Peter, see, when you're speaking, I have like three or four files in my brain opened up that I'm thinking about simultaneously. And I think during this whole time, Peter's thinking, no way, no way. When Jesus said that the Spirit will give you the words to say, like, listen to the things I'm saying right now. Here he is, and this is what he says. Filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you, And to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation and no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Does this seem like the same guy that denied Jesus to a 12-year-old little girl and then ran off swearing so that he wouldn't be identified as a follower of Jesus? No. The Spirit's helping him. And then when they responded, they said, Man, his confidence, he clearly walked with Jesus. And I think that this is what Jesus is referring to. And as we walk with God, as we grow closer to God, like I don't know how I'd respond if somebody's threatening to kill me unless I reject Jesus. But I do believe that if I was ever placed in that situation, I trust that God would help me in that moment. And as you walk with him, you might be, not be like threatened to have your head decapitated. But there are times when we like walk and we share and then we're faced with criticism or debate. And there are times when I like the Bible can just come out. Like, where did that come from? And God will help you. To do the things that he's called you to do. So we need to cling to him. And when I look at this, like we're done. I'm like a little bit late. I'm sorry. Final points. The first thing is a warning. Like guard yourselves from hypocrisy. That includes us. That includes every one of us that identifies as a Christian. We need to guard hypocrisy because hypocrisy is that that says, I've got to put on this face and be something totally different on the surface. Christians are not perfect. We're forgiven. The only thing that's different from us and them that don't know Christ is that we've been forgiven. And when we start thinking, well, now we're Christians, now we've got to be perfect. Then you have to build up this whole thing. And then all of that's going to tumble down on you. You'll be exposed. There was a missionary named Isabel Kuhn. And she was a missionary from um, in the early 1900s. She went from Canada to China. She was a young girl. And as she was on her boat ride over, one of the more experienced missionaries told her, listen, as you go over there and you start serving and living for God, all of this sin and junk in your life is going to bubble up. And and it's going to, you've got to learn how to like handle that maturely. And as you walk with God, all of your junk is going to come up. And Ann and I heard it said somewhere that we don't really know where we heard it said, but the speaker described how we respond to this like taking a beach ball and being in a pool and trying to hold it underwater so instead of letting it coming out and letting it be, you know letting you, your stuff kind of be exposed you force harder and harder and harder to hold it down but then eventually you know what that ball slips and then it explodes water all over you we don't need to try to put on some fake show and I love that this is a church where there's not judgment, that, there's like, that we're here to help each other. We need to remember that 1 John 1, 8 and 9, which we normally repeat during communion, I think it's important here. It says, if we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So if you say you have no sin, if you try to put on this, this picture that you're a perfect Christian and you got everything under control, you're making God to be a liar because all through the Bible, it makes it clear that people are sinners. And fall short of the glory of God. The only perfect person in the whole Bible is God. All, like everybody. Like the heroes of the faith, David. Oh, a man after God's own heart. Man, he has adultery, murder. He, God, like, was going to let him build the temple, but then God said, You got too much blood on your head. You can't, like, I'm, you can't build the temple. But see, the thing is, is, he's a man after God's own heart because when he sinned, he knew how to respond to God eventually. Like, like it took him a year with the whole Bathsheba thing, but eventually he did the right thing. When I was in the Navy, right when I checked into SEAL Team 3, there was a guy that was, a, he, he was a, in a SEAL class or two in front of me. And I didn't really know him that well until we got to SEAL Team 3. And when we got to SEAL Team 3, I noticed that on his forearm, he had a tattoo and it had a number of some sort. Um, it might have had a letter or two in it, but it was pretty much a number. And I finally, it was just the, maybe it was on his outside of his forearm. And I was like, that is like, it looked like something you do in the backyard or something. Like it didn't look professional. I'm like, hey, what's the deal with that tattoo? And he's like, oh, that's my dad's union. My dad's a steel worker. And I put it there because no matter what happens to me, no matter where I go, I will always be a steel worker son, and I don't want to forget where I came from. And I was like, dude, like I'm, a San, I'm from California. We don't have that sort of like, you know, connectedness. I like, and it just was like powerful to me that here he came from this small town of steel, work, steel workers, and he never wanted to forget the values where he came from. And you know what I think, not, not that I really think this, this is in one of those make-believe sort of thing. But I think it would be good for every Christian to have a little tattoo on their forearm that said, just a sinner saved by grace. Because, you know, we start walking this life, we start getting a little cleaned up and we start thinking, Ooh, I did this all on my own. We are all just sinners saved by grace. And church isn't a place for us to like come here and to like put on our best, you know, best front and then to leave here. And then to have all of our garbage kind of happen. I view church like I view Um, in the SEAL teams following any sort of combat, after you broke from the contact and you could get somewhere relatively... Safe is all relative. Like, you could get somewhere kind of safe. You would rally up in a circle. The OIC would go to each guy. He'd pat you on the shoulder, and he's asking you two questions. Are you okay, and how much ammo do you have? And so you'd give the okay, and okay meant, like... You know, you better be shot if you don't say this. It's not like, well, I skinned my knee when I jumped the other. You know, (laughs) like, you know, do you have any Neosporin? It's like, are you okay? (laughs) How much ammo? So you'd either say, "Well, I have four magazines left," or I have nothing. And then he'd go to other guys and kind of balance things out. And I view church like that. Like this is a place where we should be able to say, like, and I don't know, maybe we can create something like a pat. You, how you doing? I'm, I'm doing really good like god's really doing it. No, i'm struggling. I've got like this worry I've got this concern. I've i'm really like having a hard time in my marriage. Could you pray for me? And it doesn't mean like to come to me like i'm always available, but we need to be doing this for each other Like this isn't a place where we're trying to put on a show. We're here to grow more That's why we study the bible. This is where we can pray for each other This is where we can support each other And I love it when I see this in our body Which happens a lot where people are caring and loving on one another and helping us through the difficult times That's what it's about. And, Father, we do thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you for this warning. Lord, we confess our, I I mean, I confess at least my inclination, Lord, um, to try to put on an exterior, Lord, to try to make myself to, to seem something that I'm not. Lord, I thank you that you've kind of you've freed me in a, in a big way from this, Lord, that, that it helps me to be transparent, that you've helped me to see the freedom that comes um, in just like, kind of being myself and, and working towards um, the process of becoming more like Christ. And, and, Lord, I long for the day when I will be free from this body of sin and stain. And, Lord, I pray that you just help each of us, Lord, to help each other. Lord, I pray that you would help us um, to get our fear placed in the right place, that we would fear God. And in that, Lord, our life kind of gets pulled together for you're the one who loves us, that you're the one who knows what's best for us. You're the one who will guide us in the right direction. You're the one who knows us more than anything. And Lord, we thank you that even though you know everything about us, that there is no secret hidden from you, And yet you still love us. You still died for us. We thank you for your patience um, with us. Lord, we pray that you would um, help us um, to be helpful to those um, sitting in the chairs next to us, Lord. Life is hard. This world is passing away. and um, Lord, we know that we need you. We need each other. And we're just thankful, Lord, for this body. And for the work that you've done in our lives. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.